morning, City Church, Salt County. Good morning, Facebook world. Happy Easter. Glad to see you. Hope you're well this morning. Uh, I think my kids were getting dressed in their Easter finest. Uh, even, uh, I think, old habits die hard. Justice came downstairs with a button-up shirt. Jordan said, are we taking pictures today? I need my dress on. <clears throat> I did not dress in my Easter finest. Just want to let you know uh, that this T-shirt is maybe Easter finest because it, uh, it's a stated T-shirt. Stated is over there uh, in the Jingles building, downtown Benton. We belong to, we don't just have a building in downtown Benton. We belong to the downtown Benton family, uh, the business district, the local shops that are down here and we know that with the whole COVID-19 thing um, that's affecting a lot of people financially and work-wise but there are some really awesome shops down here stated as one of those uh, and we just want to use this uh, live stream just to remind you uh, that these shops uh, exist down here uh, that they have been used uh, to promote a lot of momentum in downtown Benton, and we're excited to see that kick back up. Uh, but even now in this time, as we have opportunity, we want to continue to support them uh, so that they're still here when all this is over and that downtown can be thriving and exciting again. Uh, so here we are on week four of Holy Week. Uh, stay six feet apart until further notice. So husbands and wives, you may have to sit in different chairs this morning. Uh, and wear your mask as well. Week four of Holy Week, uh, we will be in John chapter 20 here in a moment. So let me get my whiteboard ready and we'll jump straight in and we will get started. Have you ever noticed that stories seem to be more interesting to the speaker than the listener? Like uh, when somebody's telling a story a lot of times that story, that person seems so excited, so thrilled to tell you this story, and then the listener maybe doesn't respond the same way that the speaker uh, assumed they would. And it usually ends with a comment, something like, well, maybe you just had to be there or something like that. My wife's family is a storytelling family. And every holiday, typically with Easter and every other holiday, every other family meal, it is filled with stories from childhood and events from their past, uh, most of which I was not present for. Right? Most of which I was not present for. So help me, I got question number one for you this morning. Help me understand, why do stories sometimes fall flat? For the listener, why do stories sometimes fall flat for the listener? What do you what do you think? Uh, and as you think about that, and you share your answers on on live here, I want to tell you one of the stories uh, that falls into that category, and it's this. One of Shelley's favorite stories to tell is the time that her dad sent her into the hole. Like that's not a uh, a prison term. They had a, a piece of uh, their property had a giant hole, and they and when they were little kids, they called it the hole. Supposedly, it was twenty feet deep and full of dangerous wild animals. But this particular day, apparently, she was practicing softball with her dad. Uh, the ball went into the hole. And Shelly, I think, wanted to leave it there, but her dad insisted, no, you will go down and get the ball from the hole. Uh, so she goes down and meets Jimmy No-Shoulders. Anybody know who Jimmy No-Shoulders is? It's a snake. 
right? He doesn't have shoulders. That's why we call him Jimmy No Shoulders. So she goes down to get the ball, reaches for the ball, looks down and finds Jimmy No Shoulders between her feet looking up at her, uh, at which she begins to drop many words that we cannot uh, speak on our live stream this morning it's for her dad to hear her, uh, his innocent daughter speaking such words. And in that case, uh, Shelly remembers that her dad was very forgiving about the language that she used since the snake was between her feet. That's one of the stories that she loves to tell. And funny as that is, it would have been much more funny for me to see it myself. Right? So why is it that sometimes stories fall flat? For the listeners. Richard Alonzo says lack of connection. Uh, Sam, lack of context. Context. Connection. And Tanya says personal experiences have emotions attached to them. For those who did not experience it, it's only information. Yeah. Experience often equals emotion. That's good, Tanya. Thank you for that. Excellent. So it's the events uh, that we all shared together that connect deeper. Like when we experience things together, it creates this deeper connection. Uh, and like the story they love to tell, my brother-in-laws, we went on a float trip. Um, I think it was the Caddo River uh, and if you've been to the Caddo too late in the season, it's less of a float trip and more of a, hey, let's carry our canoe together trip. Um, but we were at the Caddo, and they loved to tell about the time that they were trying to, I was trying to convince myself to swing off of the rope swing. And I think it was probably 15 feet high. And every time they tell that, I have to relive those 12 traumatic minutes of my life that seem to bring them joy and remind me that I'm terrified of heights standing at the top of that rope swing, looking over, and everybody else had already gone, and I'm left up there by myself. They love to tell that. They love to tell that. It's the events that we all share together that uh, connect us deeper. This is the dilemma that we find in John chapter 20 concerning the last major event of Holy Week. <clears throat> in John chapter 20, uh, the last event of Jesus' life in Holy Week. Uh, he had already been betrayed by Judas. Uh, he had been framed by the Jews and crucified by the Romans. On Friday, they put his body and they placed him in a tomb, sealed it with a stone and watched it with the guards. And then on Sunday, the narrative takes a dramatic turn. And that's what we find here in John chapter 20. So start reading with me. If you have a Bible, we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read a little bit, and then we will uh, discuss with some more time. So it says in verse 1, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciples went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw that the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then following him, Simon Peter also came, entered the tomb, saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up, separated uh, place by itself. The other disciples who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. They had not yet understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. If you jump to verse 19, it says, When it was evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together. When the doors locked, because they feared the Jews, the same Jews that had killed Jesus just days before, Jesus came. The doors are locked. They're together. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. And having said this, he showed them, he showed them his hands that were pierced and his side that had been pierced. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. I want to, in verse 24, there's two words that we're going to look at this morning. Peter, James, I mean, Peter and John went to the tomb, see that it's empty. They come back to the house. The doors are locked. Jesus appears in the room to the disciples. They see him and they believe. They're starting to understand. They're starting to put it together. And then in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas wasn't, wasn't with the, the rest of them. So they began to retell the story to him so that he can be informed that we have seen the Lord. Thomas has gotten a bad rap over the years. He's gotten nicknames like Doubting Thomas, and he's typically seen in a negative light. But I sympathize with Thomas. I sympathize with him, though, because Thomas is like the new boyfriend at the first Christmas with his girlfriend's family. He's like the new boyfriend showing up for Christmas at the girlfriend's family. From the moment he walks in, he's an outsider trying to catch up on everything he's missed and where he's at. It's like you walk in and it's like drinking from a fire hydrant that first Christmas. It's like stories rushing at you. People are enthusiastic and they're good to tell you everything you know, everything they know, everything they know about your new girlfriend. And it's just like information overload when you walk into that setting. And all you're doing is trying to orient yourself to, to, to what's going on in your new surroundings. That's Thomas in this moment. Here's a question for you. Sometimes the enthusiasm of those in a story can have a reverse effect on the listener, on those who were absent, right? So causing actually a hardness or a skepticism. So Derek, I'm telling you this story. I'm really excited to tell you what just happened, but you weren't there. You weren't there. 
And sometimes my enthusiasm that spills out through my story can have a reverse effect on you. Not causing the same enthusiasm, not starring the same excitement, but actually creating a little bit of skepticism and a little bit of hardness because you weren't there. Right? Sometimes our stories have reverse. Why is this? Why is it that sometimes our storytelling has that reverse effect? As you think about that, it's like this. It's like the time I took Micah on a daddy-daughter date for her birthday. That was this year. She turned 11. we really bad at this, but we try to take our kids out one-on-one. When you have four, you got to have some one-on-one time. And I took Micah for a daddy-daughter date. We went to dinner. Uh, I took her shopping so that she could get a shirt for her birthday. She got to pick it out. She was excited. And her enthusiasm about dinner and the shopping trip didn't translate well to the other three. Like Micah comes home and she's like, I had all night with dad. Like we went to dinner and I got to get this and he let me order this. And then he took me to the store and I got to pick out this. Can't you see my new shirt? How awesome it is. I got to spend the whole night with dad. And then the other three. Obviously, that doesn't translate. They're not as excited as Mike is. And in fact, it has a reverse effect on them. Why can it have a reverse effect on those who are listening, those who are absent from the original events? Because envy. Hmm. Can cause envy. Part of the reverse effect, you begin to be envious about those who experienced the story that I missed out on because I wasn't there. One of the words that came up to me was frustration. And I think that's connected to our envy. We can be frustrated that somebody else got that event, that moment. They got to experience that emotion. But because I wasn't there, missed out on it. Create a little bit of skepticism, a little bit of hardness. The last one that I have, sometimes you can be doubtful about the details. Right? If you weren't there, and that story is that extravagant, it's that exciting, that man, I don't I don't know. I don't know, dude. I wasn't there. It's like fish stories. Should have seen the fish. Dude, I've never seen a fish that big come out of that water hole, right? It's like, you've never, it's like that hole in one. Well, who was playing with you? I was, it was, I was by myself. I was by my, it's like, dude, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know about your details. I don't know about your story. This effect is why Thomas said in the following verse, here's what Thomas said. If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hand, if I don't see where they drove them, and I can't put my finger in the mark of those nails, and if I can't put my hand into his side where the soldier pierced him to prove that he was dead, I will never believe. I'll never believe, Thomas said. Like, I get 
that you other 11 dudes are really excited about this. I get that you're telling me this and I get that you're excited. But if I can't see what you saw, if I can't do what you did, I don't know. I'm just not going to be able to believe. And of course, we use this illustration for those who believe in Jesus' resurrection and for those who don't, right? It's like, I believe that Jesus was crucified, buried, and then three days later raised back to life by the power of the Father. I believe that. And then Thomas says, I get that you believe that, but I don't yet. There's an obvious connection that we can say that it connects to us. Like, I believe in the resurrection. It is the hope of my life. And I recognize that you, sitting where you're sitting this morning, could say, you know what, I I, I don't know if I do. Like, I need to see something. Of course we could do that, but I see more than that. It's every story that you hear about, my marriage was restored by the power of Jesus. Like we trusted in him and and he rebuilt, he restored, he made our marriage new again. And look at what you see. I'm telling you about the restoration of my marriage. And you're like, ah, I don't know, man, mine kind of sucks. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to go in and believe you. It's every story of we prayed for healing and when they went to the doctor, they were new again. It's like when Zach came, when we were still meeting at the Main Street Station down here, and it's when Zach came in, he's like, the doctors told me that I would have this medical condition for the rest of my life. I'd have to take medicine, we just hope there's not another clot, and we just hope that there's not another stroke, and we just hope that, that this, this thing that's permanent in my brain doesn't do me in. And then he goes to the doctor, and the doctor says... The clot's gone. You've been healed. And we don't know how. And Zach says, yeah, it's because people have been praying for me. God healed me from that. And you're like, I I don't, like unless I see, I don't know. It's every story of answered prayer. It's every story of God miraculously providing. And you hear these, you, sometimes these stories are an encouragement to the listener, but other times they have an unintended reverse effect on some of us. Right? It's like, I hear what you're saying. <clears throat> Maybe through a little bit of envy, a little bit of frustration, and a little bit of doubt, you're like, I just, I hear your story, but I don't know. Like, unless I see something, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to believe it. Right? So let's see where this leads in the text this morning. It says, a week later, (laughs) a week later, that's in verse 26, a week later his disciples were indoors again. This time Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, The same thing he said last time. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. A week later, the disciples were in the room again. Thomas is with them this time. Peace be with you. Then 
He said to Thomas, put your fingers, Thomas, give me your hand, give me your hand, put your finger right here. Touch where they put my nails. You can feel it. You can see it. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand. Reach out your hand, Thomas, and, and put it right here. Feel where they pierced my side. Put your hand on it. And then Jesus says this, do not be faithless, but believe. Thomas, you don't have to have doubt anymore. You don't have to be a skeptic anymore. You don't, you don't have to be without faith. You can not be faithless, but you can believe. I'm showing myself to you, Thomas. And then Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. That's his profession of faith. I believe. <laughs> I've seen it now. I've seen it now. And Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas, because you, you had the benefit of like being here today. I know you believe because you've seen this. But oh, even more blessed are those who will not see me, yet they believe anyways. I want to end with two, two observations for us this morning. Number one, it said a week later. A week later. Yeah. Thomas experienced a season of time surrounded by people of faith. Think about this. A season of time where Thomas is surrounded by these other people who, who have believed before he had faith of his own. Right? Thomas is sitting in the room with this group of people. They're like, Jesus is resurrected. He's alive. This is not over. It's just beginning. Everybody's getting excited. Uh, and then it's an emotional thing for everybody else. But then Thomas is just like, oh, my gosh. For a whole week, this whole season, he's surrounded by that enthusiasm. Yet he doesn't have faith of his own. How many times were that story told, right? How many times within that seven days where Thomas is sitting with these other guys, they're like, all right, so here's how it happened again. Here's how it happened again. Like we were here, the Mary came, we ran to the tomb, we looked in, it's empty. Ooh, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? And then we came back home, we're inside, the doors are locked, and then all of a sudden Jesus is with us. We're like touching his hands and his side. It's like, wasn't that incredible? Wasn't that incredible? How many times did Thomas have to sit and hear that stuff over that week? What went through his mind through those seven days? How irritated did he become without having a story of his own? How much envy kicked in? How much frustration like stirred in his heart? How much doubt continued to multiply within him as it was told and retold and told and retold? And he's like, I don't have anything to tell. I don't. I don't. How rooted did Thomas' skepticism become in that week? I don't know. Second observation is Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, let me see your hand. Put it right here. Like I know, Thomas, that this is what you need. T 
Thomas simply wanted to know Jesus in the same way that everybody else did. That's all they wanted. Jesus, if I can't know Jesus the way you know Jesus, the way you know Jesus, then I'm... He just wanted to know him like everybody else did. (laughs) And as if Jesus knew Thomas' mind, which he did, he's like, I know what you need, Thomas. And and I'm going to come, and I'm going to invite you to do just that. Jesus knows what is holding me back. He knows what's holding me back. Jesus knows what's holding you back. He can handle our skepticism. He can handle it. Even though your doors are locked this morning and you're inside and you're separated from what's going on outside the world, Jesus is in your presence and he's inviting you to, to reach out your hand don't be faithless, but believe. Right? We're in the same situation that Thomas was in. You're in your couch, you're in your living room, you're watching your TV, you're, you're behind your iPad. And like everything's closed off. It's just you and whoever's in your house. Jesus has entered in with you and he's telling you, He's inviting you. Do not be without faith. I want you to believe. I want you to believe. Just reach out and see if I don't touch you. Just reach out and see if I don't deal with your skepticism. Just reach out. I can handle your skepticism. So I'm going to leave you with three questions this morning. Three questions for you to discuss prayerfully with yourself or out loud with those in your home. This is what we hope to do as you have your doors closed. We want to stir conversation in your house that wasn't happening before, maximizing this time of rest that we have. Question number one, what areas cause you to connect with Thomas and his skepticism? What areas cause you to connect with Thomas and his skepticism? Is it Jesus' resurrection Or is it other places where his resurrection power is made known, such as stories of restored marriages, those that have been healed, stories of answered prayer or miraculous provisions that came from God? How do you connect with Thomas and his skepticism? What area is it? I don't know if Jesus ever resurrected. I don't know. I don't know if I can believe that. Or I do believe that, but I don't. I don't know if I even expect his resurrection power to like be made known in everyday life. What area causes you to connect with Thomas? Thomas, question number two. Thomas said this, if I see, I will believe. But Jesus is clear that most of us will never see before we believe. Most of us will be required to believe before we see. What would 
a step of faith look like for you? I want you to discuss this. What would a step of faith look like for you? As you believe Jesus to overcome your answer that was in question one, what would it look like for you to take a step of faith to reach out your hand, just like Thomas did, and to allow Jesus to overcome your doubt? Well, we're going to be required to step out in faith. But he promises us that we're going to see the fulfillment of our faith. But most of us are going to have to believe before we see. But if we do believe, there's a guarantee that we will see. What step of faith do you, what would it look like for you so that you can have a story of your own? So that you can have a story of your own. So that you can stop being the one at the dinner table. It's just listening to everybody else's and you're just, disconnected from the context, disconnected from the story. Uh, You didn't experience it, so you got no emotion bought into it, and you're just sitting there growing in envy, frustration, and doubt. Here's the deal. What step of faith can you take today to overcome your skepticism so that you can have your own story? What would that look like? Question number three. John concludes chapter 20 by saying this. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. John said, everything I wrote to you is so that you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Anointed One, the Messiah, the One that has come to be the Savior. Everything I wrote to you led to that, and I want you to believe that, because by believing, you have life in His name, life abundant and life eternal. That's where it comes from. There is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved except for the name of Jesus. If you aren't sure that you have eternal life by believing in Jesus, and you would like to know more, the answer to question three is for you to hit us up on Facebook. Send us a message. Say, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't know where I land in that. I don't know if I have eternal life from Jesus. I don't know if I've believed enough to receive what he's offering. I, I just don't know. But I'd like to know. I'd like to know more. I'd like to have confidence. I'd like to have a story of my own. I'd like to have something to tell. I'd like to know where this goes in life and where this goes in death. Because as Jesus defeated the grave, he says he is the first one of many that are going to do the same thing. He is the first of many that will defeat the grave. How do we do it? By believing in me, you will have life. You'll have life. If you don't know where you land on that this morning, we ask you to hit us up on Facebook so that we can help you understand and begin to have a story of your own. Overcoming your skepticism, letting Jesus meet with you, experience the power of his resurrection so that you, could, you too can become a storyteller and not just a listener who is absent. This is week one. It's actually the last week of our Holy Week discussion, but it's week one of a new discussion about skeptics in the Bible. We're going to retrace various people from all over the Scripture that struggled to believe what they had been told. And we're going to see how that fleshed out. We're going to see 
how that went with them, what they were struggling against, and, and what power awaited on the other side if they would not be faithless but believe. So we invite you back next week at 1030 for the next conversation that's going to happen in this direction as we look at more skeptics in the Bible and how God led them through that. We're going to post our questions on our Facebook page so that you can see them, continue to discuss them. Everybody saw the risen Savior but Thomas. And for a season... He found himself amongst a group of believers who just kept telling story after story. He's like, ah, I just don't know. I just don't know. But in the end, Thomas received the invitation of Jesus just to reach out. Thomas, I want to give you a story. He's saying the same thing to every one of us. Struggling to believe in his resurrection. Jesus is with you. He's reaching out, struggling to believe in the power of his resurrection. Let's identify how we identify with Thomas. And let's take steps of faith. Let's gain stories of our own. Let's see the power of his resurrection. Let's look back to Easter in 2020 when you were locked inside your house and Jesus came to meet with you and everything changed for you. Let's do that. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you.